0: Welcome to this podcast. I'm Gavin Woods, and I'm joined by my colleague Isabel Cook. We are both part of the Arthur Cox IP team, and we'll be discussing upcoming changes to the law and content regulation in Ireland in the first of the IP team's new series of podcasts, Tech Trackers: Regulation in the Digital World. Before we kick off, we'd like to warn listeners that this podcast briefly mentions topics that may be distressing, including assault and sexual assault, disordered eating, self harm, and suicide. Okay. On with the discussion, Isabel.
1: Hi Gavin, Uh, great to speak to you today. As a starting point for our discussion, I think it's worth reflecting briefly on what has precipitated some of the developments we're going to chat about. It's fair to say that the way the world consumes content, even just the sheer volume of content consumed, has really changed fundamentally in the past 15 years. And there's no indication that the rate of change is slowing down. What are your thoughts, having had a front row seat to those changes through your practice?
0: Well it'll be news to nobody that content is king today. The pressure to generate new and engaging content is omnipresent across business and this of course fuels an entire industry in making that content available and by extension the need for appropriate regulation.
1: Of course and that's a jumping off point to discuss probably one of the biggest changes to the content regulation landscape in Ireland which is the proposed creation of a whole new regulator in the form of the Media Commission. Will we start there?
0: Sure. Uh, The establishment of the Media Commission is proposed in the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill, which has now completed the Senate stage in the legislative process. still a ways to go before this bill becomes law, possibly later this year. But when it does, it'll overhaul the online content regulatory regime. And as you said, one of the biggest changes will be the creation of the Media Commission. Perhaps, Isabel, you could give a brief overview of what is proposed.
1: Yeah, the Media Commission will be a multi-person regulatory body responsible for overseeing updated regulations for broadcasting and video-on-demand services and the new regulatory framework for online safety that's being created by the Bill. The latter of these will be the particular responsibility of an online safety commissioner whose office will fall under the umbrella of the Media Commission. The Broadcasting Authority, the body that has been tasked with regulating traditional media up to now, will be dissolved and its mandate will be taken on by the Media Commission. This will coalesce the regulation of traditional broadcasting services and services that are delivered through apps and the internet to bring greater consistency and alignment between the two. Gavin, would you agree that the work of the Commission, at least at first, looks like it will be kind of divided between the two headline areas that the Bill is looking to address, one being online safety and the other being media regulation?
0: I think we can say at the moment yes, but with the caveat that we are yet to see what the Commission will look like in terms of its structure and staffing. Looking at online safety first, the bill provides that certain categories of online content will fall under the definition of harmful online content, which covers content that relates to criminal offences, which are extensively listed in the bill. There are 40 types of content under this heading alone. But it also includes online content in which a person bullies or humiliates another person, content that is promoting or encouraging of disordered eating behaviours, and content which promotes or encourages self-harm or suicide or that gives information in respective methods of self-harm or suicide. Something of a distinction between harmful online content that relates to criminal offences and these other categories is that the former is automatically considered harmful, but the latter must pass a risk test to be considered harmful. The risk test is met if the content presents either a risk to a person's life or a risk to, of significant harm to a person's physical or mental health, where that harm is reasonably foreseeable.
1: And Gavin, what are the Media Commission and Online Safety Commissioners' powers going to be in respect of actually regulating the availability of harmful content? I ask because it's one thing to designate the content as harmful. It's quite another, given that old expression that the internet is written in ink, not in pencil, to go about addressing the availability of that content.
0: There are a number of strands to this, and it's likely the position will evolve. A key part of the new regulatory framework, envisaged by the Bill, is the introduction of online safety codes, which the Media Commission will be able to apply to designated online services. The purpose of these codes is to shift some of the onus to online service providers to actually limit the availability of harmful online content. Another regulatory tool that the Commission will have at its disposal is the provision of non-binding guidance materials to online service providers. There is also currently a consultation ongoing on a possible mechanism for individuals to make complaints in respect to the Commission The responsible minister, Catherine Martin, has said that she would be in favour of a complaints mechanism for individuals, so the outcome of that um, consultation is awaited. This regulatory complaints mechanism is, of course, something we have seen up close in practice, Isabel, with the Data Protection Commissioner.
1: Agreed. And the key takeaway from what we have seen in practice is that while few would dispute the importance of a complaints mechanism, there has to be appropriate resourcing behind it if it's to be effective. The DPC, for example, dedicates a huge volume of its resources to resolving complaints. I think their annual report said that they received close to three and a half thousand complaints last year alone, and that does inevitably have an impact on the overall work of a regulator. It's also true, though, that a regulator's ability to regulate is augmented by receiving complaints, as it can broaden the scope of its supervision in some ways. It can direct a regulator's attention to recurrent issues and highlight areas that merit greater regulatory focus.
0: Those resourcing demands you mentioned are notable, particularly given that ourselves and others have remarked that the wide breadth of the regulator's intended remit is striking. There's the online safety framework which just spoken about, but also the implementation of the revised audiovisual media services directive as well, which is quite distinct.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the revised directive will update the regulation of audiovisual content by which we really mean video content to reflect the changes in consumption of that kind of content and make the updates in a harmonised way across the EU. There's probably four main changes that the directive will introduce once the bill is enacted and commenced. Firstly, video sharing platform services. The revised directive extends the EU regulatory regime to video sharing platform services, that is, platforms that allow users to generate and share videos over which the platform provider doesn't have any editorial responsibility. The existing directive currently regulates traditional television broadcasting services, as well as on-demand services like RT Player and Netflix. But this change will mean that platforms such as YouTube and Vimeo are now also regulated. Secondly, a minimum offering of European works for on-demand services. Member states are required to ensure that on-demand services secure at least a 30% share of European works in their catalogues and ensure the prominence of those works. Thirdly, financial contributions for European works. Under the existing regime, member states may require media service providers to make financial contributions to the production of European works. Article 13 of the revised directive provides that member states may additionally require financial contribution from providers who are not under their jurisdiction, but who target audiences in their territory. Finally, independent regulatory body. The revised directive requires member states to designate a legally distinct and functionally independent regulatory body that exercises its powers impartially and transparently and in accordance with the objectives of this directive so in ireland that of course is going to be the new media commission
0: very interesting isabel thanks Uh, do you foresee that any of these changes will present bigger challenges than the others
1: i think the question of if social media platforms fall into the definition of video sharing platform services or not will be a big one the directive says that video sharing platform services are in scope where the provision of programs and user-generated videos constitutes an essential functionality of the service provided and the EU Commission have published some guidelines on factors to consider, like the relationship between the video content and the main activity of the service. For example, is the content sharing element a standalone feature or does it merely facilitate the main distinct service? For example, WhatsApp allows the sharing of video content, but messaging is its main purpose. It's an interesting point if you look at the trend in social media companies towards content sharing as a model over the last few years. Snapchat started out as a pure messaging app, but then became dominated by influencers and similarly with Instagram.
0: Absolutely. And of course, it would be the responsibility of the Media Commission who will have the power to designate video sharing platform services as relevant online services. Having regard to the European Commission's guidelines.
1: Yes, uh, which might bring us on to looking at some of the Media Commission's enforcement powers, I think.
0: Sure, the enforcement side of things is always a key concern for our clients. I might just run through an overview of the powers of the commission as they are in the bill. The primary enforcement structure will be one of notice. Any person authorized by the commission may commence an investigation where there is a reason to suspect that there has been a contravention of the bill by a service provider. Following confirmation from the commission that a contravention has occurred, the commission may issue a notice to the service provider to end such contravention. This notice will include the steps that the Commission requires the service provider to take in order to end the contravention, as well as the period in which those steps must be taken. Failure to comply with such notice may lead to substantial fines as well as the possibility of criminal liability, potentially including imprisonment for senior management of the service provider. As well as that, then we have other investigative and enforcement powers of the Commission including the part to impose a financial sanction of up to 20 million euro, 10% of turnover of the service provider in the financial year preceding the date of the decision. This all sounds very similar to the sanctions that apply under GDPR. The part to search, seize, and compel the production of or preservation of material in the possession of the service provider. The power to remove an on-demand service from the registry of services. The part to block access of to an online or audiovisual on-demand services within the jurisdiction and the power to require a service provider to remove or disable access to harmful online content.
1: Thanks, Gavin. Those powers are pretty comprehensive.
0: Definitely they are. And we will have to await the implementation of the Act to see how and to what extent the Commission will exercise its powers.
1: One of the biggest factors that's mentioned by the DPC in the context of how her powers are exercised is the almost omnipresent threat of judicial review. Carefully adhering to the high standard we have for fair procedures is another big pull on resources. What's the susceptibility of the new Media Commission's decisions to judicial review?
0: This is a particularly interesting area as Section 38 of the Bill provides that leave will not be granted for judicial review of any decision by the Commission that a service provider on the balance of probabilities was in contravention of the Bill or the Commission decision to impose a financial sanction upon the service provider as a result of such contravention. There is, however, an option to appeal a decision of the Commission on any ground that could but for this section be relied upon by the service provider in an application seeking judicial review of the Commission decision or on the grounds that the decision made by the Commission is not proportionate. The circuit court or high court may hear such appeal depending on the quantum of the financial sanction imposed on the service provider by the Commission.
1: That's a really interesting point, Gavin, and definitely one to follow as the bill progresses through the legislative process we might just briefly turn to some other areas in the arena of content regulation that are changing outside the scope of the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill. Gavin, perhaps you could discuss some proposed changes in the law of defamation?
0: Yes, Isabel, lots of changes happening in this area. Within the past fortnight, the Minister for Justice announced she would be preparing new defamation legislation following a review of the Defamation Act. The main proposals for online content is a proposed streamlined process for online service providers disclosing the identity of an anonymous poster of defamatory material. The current position is that for data protection and other reasons, online service providers will only disclose such information pursuant to a court order. And whilst in our experience, the main platforms take a constructive approach to these applications, they can take time and cost money. And in light of recent decisions, their legal status is somewhat gray, so clarity and a streamlined process would be welcomed. In more general terms, the key reforms will be the end of juries, the reduction in legal costs and delays, measures to encourage prompt corrections and apologies, easier access to justice, and clear protection for responsible public interest journalism. Most of all, there is clearly a move towards avoiding disproportionate awards of damages, and more consistent, proportionate, and predictable redress which will be generally welcomed. Before we conclude, Isabel, perhaps you could discuss the EU regulation of terrorist content, which comes into effect later this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Gavin. Um, This regulation will apply from the 7th of June this year. The purpose of the regulation is to crack down on the availability of content promoting, inciting, or glorifying terrorism or terrorist offences. And it introduces strict new requirements for online hosting service providers to remove flagged terrorist content within one hour, So a pretty onerous obligation. The providers will also have to provide reasons for the removal of content on request and to monitor their own compliance by submitting annual reports outlining actions they've taken in this area. National regulators will have the power to identify and supervise the removal of terrorist content online and to facilitate cooperation between member states on this issue.
0: Great, thanks. Isabel looks like another likely role for the media commission. So we thank you, Isabel for speaking with me today.
1: Same to you, Gavin.
0: And to you for listening. More updates from the IP team can be found on the Arthur Cox website. And tune in next time for a discussion from the team on artificial intelligence and intellectual property. The next episode in this series, Tech Trackers, Regulation in the Digital World.